How do you find a new dream? It's easy to say that when one door closes, somebody else opens a window, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. How do you find your way towards what's next when you still really want what didn't work out? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. My name's Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach. I work with business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find out about me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And today we're talking about failure and recovering from failure. When something you really wanted didn't work out, when you did your best, this isn't a case like yesterday's show where you kind of know you didn't take action and you didn't show up and you played small so it didn't work out because you get what you give and all of that. But when you actually show up for your life or the business you want, when you name a dream and you go after it with everything you have, what do you do after it doesn't work out? We all know as business owners, for example, that like I think the going percentage right now is 50% of all new businesses are going to fail. So why should any of us think that that couldn't be us and it can't happen to us or that we're somehow immune to that? But what do you do when you really, really want something and it doesn't work out? I've been having this conversation with some clients who had business issues that didn't work out and they have to kind of redefine themselves and decide who they are next. It's come up in my personal life, talking to friends and family. And recently I mentioned as an aside, like at a dinner party or something about the business that I had in 2013. I think I've talked about it on the show, but it was at the time that I had a brick and mortar private therapy business and I could kind of sense the unrest was beginning that I wasn't really comfortable um, doing full-time therapy it wasn't really lighting me up it was paying the bills but it certainly wasn't making me happy so I had decided that my roots in social work and my roots in clinical working with um, you know working with families had started with kids and I thought to myself that perhaps one of the ways I could help myself be happy and feel more fulfilled in my private practice is if I added as sort of like a private fee arm or leg to the business that didn't involve insurance that could be short-term, quick help offering parents coaching on how to manage troubling or confusing behaviors that their kids were having. And what I quickly learned, <laughs> the mistakes you always see in hindsight 2020 is I didn't do any, my, I didn't do an ounce of market research. I didn't talk to a single person in town or to school systems or to local doctor's offices, or I didn't ask or post on social media if this was a service that parents would pay for, if they needed it, if they wanted it. I didn't do any of that. I just decided that my skill set met that business and that I could build a business doing it. And what I quickly learned is that parents often do want help, but they want to do it through insurance-based, um, you know, work and services, which means that in order to give them behavioral advice on how to manage their kids, I had to assign their kids a mental health disorder or I had to assign them a mental health disorder. They wanted to use insurance, but I wasn't willing to label people with mental health problems, um, you know, with conditions simply because they didn't know 
what they wanted to do or needed to do with their kids. So it largely was a bust. I didn't I say largely as if it was a little bit not a bust. It was entirely a bust. I didn't get a single client from it. I, I gave it a go for about a year or so from 2013 to 2014. But I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And so I was telling this story and somebody asked me, well, how did you bounce back from that? Like, how did you recover? And what was really clear and immediate for me is what I said. I was like, I didn't want it enough. Um, I just kind of was getting bored in my job. I came up with some way that maybe I wouldn't be bored. It didn't work out. So, oh, well, what are you going to do? And then I talked about the heartbreak that existed when something I really did want didn't work out. And for that story, I have to take you back to my days in residential because I was 22 with a master's degree who, and I was a 22-year-old who had no business with a master's degree at the time. I needed to go and get myself some experience. But I started my career in residential and I was obsessed with it. I was a direct care, bottom of the ladder person working one-on-one with kids who um, you know, were struggling in the community in unsuccessful, um, you know, in public schools. So they needed to be, you know, admitted to this program for a year or two in order to get their behavior problems under control. And I loved that work. I loved working with the kids. I loved working with the staff. I quickly climbed the ladder. I knew practically, I knew before I applied for the job because I had done a little bit of residential work while I was in grad school. So I knew before applying to the job, you know, I say, new and I put that in air quotes that I wanted to do it for the rest of my life and I did it for a good long while I did it for eight years and then it just stopped making me happy it was requiring more and more compromises in my personal life it was creating more conflict in my personal life and I I just and I've talked about this on the show before but I couldn't figure out how to have a life and how to do that job and so the answer ended up being that I just couldn't have that job anymore and it broke my heart. I've told people and I've defined it as like the worst breakup in my worst breakup. Like no man could have hurt me as much as that job not working out for me hurt me. It just crushed me. But then I, you know, I accidentally found my way into private practice and built a new dream and built a new business. But I was asked and I've been getting asked, what do you do in those moments when you have really shown up for yourself, when you followed all the steps and you did what everybody told you to do, but it doesn't get you what you want? How do you stop wanting it? And then how the heck do you figure out what you do next? And one of the things that I think people skip. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you today is that I think a lot of people skip the grieving part. They skip the part where they just sit in it and they say, I tried my best and my best didn't work. I thought, you know, for me, my mantra at the time was, I thought this is what I wanted, but it turns out this isn't what I want to be when I grow up. And now I don't know who the heck I want to be or what I want to do instead. So many people, that feeling, because it doesn't sit in the problem solving space. It doesn't sit in the resolution space. It sits solely 
dead center in that feeling space and figuring out for yourself, like, what now? How? What do you mean I have to find a new dream? What do you mean I have to decide what I want now? What do you mean I have to figure out plan B? I still want plan A. And we're like these little kids and we want to bang our fists and stomp our feet and just say, no, I've done everything right. This should have been mine. If we don't go through all of the feelings, all of the loss and the mourning that comes with doing our best and having our best not be good enough, it is only going to bite us on the butt later. Guaranteed, I promise you. So the first step to finding a new dream is being able to own that the old dream really is dead. And that no matter what you do, you can't bring it back to life. Otherwise, you're kind of sitting on the fence. You have one side in the new life or the new business, and you have the other legs swinging on the side of the past. So there's this part of you that's always looking in the rearview mirror. And what happens when we do that? is we're not looking at it like, wow, look at all the things I tried. Look at all the actions I took. Look at all of the good that came, even though the ending didn't work out. Usually when we're swinging our leg on the wrong side of the fence, we're looking in the rearview mirror and we're just seeing the things that didn't work. The, we're seeing the failure. We're seeing the disappointment. And we're carrying that part of the story with us and our new lives and our new businesses, which is why sometimes it feels like we're walking through sludge. So if we want to be able to pick up our feet and walk with our head held high, we have to grieve. We also, I think, have to look at the lessons we've learned. Like I said to you pretty openly, easily, and matter-of-factly, like my business in 2013 that failed, failed because I didn't do market research. I didn't recognize that most parents want a parent coach who's actually a parent or who want a parent coach, <laughs> you know, who who, um, you know, is able to accept insurance, um, you know, or, you know, the number of parents who want and need a parent coach, but they don't want to admit that they don't know what they're doing because the amount of shame that comes with not knowing how to help your kid is so intense and becomes something diagnostic to overcome in and of itself. I didn't know any of those things. So my business didn't deserve to succeed. It didn't deserve to get a paying client because I hadn't done my job. I hadn't like, I looked at this. I just tried to do what I did with the first business. I was like, oh, I started a private practice. Oh, I marketed myself with a website. Oh, I did this. I did that. And I just thought I could follow, you know, rinse and repeat. But you cannot rinse and repeat an insurance-based business with something like parent coaching. It just doesn't work. They're two completely different businesses with two completely different sales strategies, and they don't work for this like each other. You have to come up with something new. I didn't, so it didn't work out. But what do you say or how do you, if you're the business owner who's sitting at a business that you really wanted and you went for it and you got the coaching and you implemented the coaching and you put yourself out there and you did all the things, but still people didn't buy or not enough people bought or didn't make you happy or otherwise somehow, some way didn't work out for you. How do you decide what's next? Once you recognize the grief, 
The next piece is what I just walked you through is the lessons. Like, what do you learn from it? What are the coulda, shoulda, wouldas that you'll never do again? What can you take away to ensure that maybe you're going to make a new mistake in the future, but you sure as heck won't be making that mistake again? How do you look at what lessons you took away from it? And for me, one of the other takeaways, when I look back to my 2013 business that I took away, what was it was the beginning of a values shift for me. When I started my private practice, I didn't want to do any private fee work. I wanted to be somebody who, if somebody had insurance benefits that they were using through their work and that they were investing in, that they would be able to get good quality mental health care from me. So I wasn't looking for private pay work. And when I was doing, you know, that business in 2013 or <laughs> the, the facade of a business in 2013, I realized that I was willing to accept private fee rates that I had seen my talent. I knew my skill set. I knew my experience. And I knew that my values were that this wasn't a mental health condition. So I refused to kind of use the system to have insurance pay for it. So I got crystal clear on that. And that helped me decide. But I also want to let you guys know that like there was a two year process between 2013 and 2015, when I had my come to Jesus moment with myself and realized that once and for all the business that I had built the private practice was not making me happy was sucking my soul and I needed to do something else. So sometimes this journey of figuring out what's next takes some time. Admittedly, I don't think I was actively engaged in that journey and in that process because doing something new, starting the little hobby side business kind of distracted me for a, for a little while of what wasn't working. So I didn't realize like I was still unhappy. It caught up with me eventually and that's when I was forced to make some really big changes. But once you do the grief work, once you figure out where the mistakes have been made and the lessons have been made, you get to decide and check in with yourself. Who am I now that this happened? What do I want? What do I need? And what are my priorities? Because people can look at you in your life and wherever you have landed at a particular point in time, and they can easily tell you, oh, you should go here. Oh, you should do that. Your skill set would be perfect for this. You just need to fill out this application. You just need to go and sell yourself to such and such people as a so-and-so expert. Like there's so many opinions and there's so many automatic like template roads to success that other people can draw for you. But you really need to decide how has trying your best and your best not working how has that affected you? How has it changed you? Do you have more resolve? Do you have more resilience? Or are you more tired? Are you less likely to take a risk? Are you feeling a little more gun shy? You have to do a gut check with yourself. Who are you now that this didn't work out? What do you want now? Do you still want the same things? Do you still care about the same things? Do you still have the same priorities? And some of these questions are going to come right back at you and smack you in the face with gigantic question marks because you don't have an answer and you don't know. And I think that's the scariest part of the process sometimes is when people say, well, what do you want or what can you do next? Or you can go anywhere in the world. Where do you want to go? Kind of mentality. And you just have no clue because you still want the last thing. Then where I go with that is that it's okay not to have a specific vision or 
picture. If you don't have something specific, the idea of just rebuilding, it makes no sense because where are you building it? And what are you building it for? And what exactly are you building? So what I suggest to people who don't have an immediate clear plan B in front of them, because if you have an immediate clear plan B, then use the lessons, learn from the mistakes, you know, and off you go. But most of the people who would be clicking on, yes, I need to listen to this podcast episode, yes, this is something I need to hear, are probably people who have not quite recovered from the last broken dream and they can't figure out what they want to do instead. So first you feel the pain, then you learn the lessons. And then the next task is simply to move through your world with curiosity, to figure out, and I've used this example on the show before, kind of like Julia Roberts and Runaway Bride. How do you like your eggs now? Now that you've done this thing, now that you've tried, now that you put yourself out there and this didn't work out and you felt the heartbreak and you've done the recovery work, like how do you like your eggs now? Who are you now? What are your values? What are the things you care about? What daydreams have come to the surface? What sort of things have become abundantly clear to you that no matter what, they're not worth it. You don't want them in your life. They're not reflective of your values. And when you start to daydream and you start to say, like, if I could just have this in the palm of my hand and be guaranteed it would happen, what picture comes to mind? What value comes to mind? What visions, ideas, any of that? What starts to take shape for you because what typically happens at this stage is people censor themselves they tell themselves the story well i already did that what's the point or i already tried it and it didn't work or sure i could try that and it might be shiny sexy sassy new for three months and then it's going to wear off and i'm going to be right where i started the doubts creep in the pessimism creeps in because you have reason to be doubtful you already did your best you already tried super hard and it didn't work so of course you're going to be doubtful and of course you're going to second guess yourself now but if you start to explore the world with curiosity, if you, you know, stop trying to make your root your world small and you don't hide, you know, at home and you just go out and you experience people and you talk to people about what they do and how they're living their lives and you approach the world with curiosity, what new ideas come to mind? What sort of, if you were given the guarantee it would happen, what comes to mind? Because so many people are afraid of their plan B dream because they simply don't know what it is they want or they're so afraid of wanting it because that that heartbreak that comes with not getting it gets in the way and they talk themselves out of it. So what I really try to do is I try to get people to be curious. And if they do this sort of journey of curiosity and still nothing pops up, nothing comes to mind, then they start with folks to poke around at what their values are. What are what's important to them? Because a lot of times when we have that con- conversation, we're not saying like, oh, I want to live in New York City or oh my gosh, I want to take three months off and travel the world. And oh my goodness, I just want to buy one of those Euro rail passes and explore Europe. Like there's usually not a specific dream, but usually if we get rid of this expectation that it has to be like the specific 
thing or object or goal, we can go to, well, what's really important to you? You know, one of the things that I've shared on the show is I lost my freaking mind when I had to move to California because I couldn't imagine a world where I would be happy without my people. So clearly my value in my life, even though it's not specific, even though it's, you know, not like, you know, sort of painted in thick black lines and colored in, it's really clear to me that my relationships and my interactions with other people are quite formative for me. They're quite important and they cannot be easily cast aside. I also have interests in things that I care about and things that are important to me. So if I didn't know that this business absolutely right now is my sweet spot and, you know, having a, a you know, sort of a consultancy business for small business owners is exactly where I want to be right now. And I was exploring it. I would start going to the things that are important to me. And one of the things that's always important to me is that I'm using my talent and my skill set to the best of my ability, that I'm living up to my potential. One of the ghosts that sort of followed me um, after I left my, you know, stint in working in residential care and went into private practice is it felt distinctly at times like I wasn't living up to my potential. I was capable of more. I was capable of helping a wider number of people with a wider range of, you know, sort of um, thoughts and feelings. I think I was getting fairly limited by the mental health space because I think people who struggle with mental health problems sometimes are limited in their ability to create change for themselves. And one of my sort of superpowers and zones of genius is using my insight to get people to move and mental health doesn't always allow for that. So I would have paid attention and I would continue to pay attention to those values and the talents and the things that I think about and care about. Because no matter what my business looks like or how it changes shape in the coming months or years, I know it's always going to be important to me that I'm living up to my potential, that I'm not playing small, that I'm not phoning it in. Because the reality is, is I could have done that with the mental health business easily. I could have just kept taking people, seeing their money, watching them not change and just, you know, build my, (laughs) build my bank account, but never really making a difference. So that becomes the next value is that like, I want to make a difference. I want to impact change. I want to get people from point A to point B. If you start thinking about the things that are important, important to you, then you can start to plug and play a little bit where those qualities you can see might fit in a new career, in a new life change, or in a new situation. It also will help you decide how badly you want it, how important it is to you. Because I can tell you that when I left residential for private practice, I was not somebody who wanted to own her own business. I had never, much to my father's dismay, I had never started like, you know, went with that. I only did that because it was the easiest job that I could just hang my own shingle. I had a license to practice independently. My story was I could see people for short-term therapy for three months, get them out of a stuck spot, and then find out what I could do with them next. And when I realized that, like, I much to my surprise and my father's delight, I loved being a business owner. I loved sort of having a vision and crafting it and setting goals and, you know, working towards 
new um, achievements and growth and all of that, like it lit me up and made me super excited. Then I, I was able to carry that with me. So that's what we have to get you to do is if you're stuck and you're lost and you don't know what you want to do next and the picture isn't, you know, airtight and crystal clear, then we have to start finding the things that are important to you, the things that you care about, the things that you're unwilling to compromise on and see where in that you can have insight, have some sort of sense of direction, some pers- like something you can pursue. How can you be curious about it? How can you explore? And then the next thing, in and this is <laughs> this is a funny one. Um, it did. <laughs> I say this because I still think it could work, even though it really, really did not work for me. But the other thing that I would tell you to do is go to your tribe, go to the people who really know you, who know your skill set, who know what your life is like, who know what you're awesome at who know what you're not so awesome at and ask them what they think you should do or where they see you. And again, you have to pick people who are not going to be so invested in their answer that if you don't take them up on it, they're going to be disappointed or you're going to feel pressure to respond. But sometimes that like, outside looking in perspective can really help. Now, when I did it, I didn't like, nobody understood the idea of closing a successful brick and mortar therapy practice. Like nobody got it. And I'm really, you know, not to sound obnoxious, but I am skilled and talented at working with mental health. And so a lot of people were like, how can you walk away from that talent? How can you, you know, you're really good at this. How can you just like ignore that talent and just do even less mental health? Because I obviously moving, you know, from a, an agency perspective with high risk adolescent youth to private practice to then working with business owners, like it's taking me further and further from mental health. And a lot of people had me so pigeonholed that they couldn't see outside the realm of which they had come to know me. And if you have that too, then my guess is you're going to need an outside perspective. Like you're going to need to hire yourself a coach or a consultant or somebody who can help you do some personality testing who can help you kind of explore this. But if you're not like me and you have (laughs) people in your tribe who are a little more flexible and able to see you with a new lens, like they are great people to ask because they can say, hey, I always thought you should do this. I always thought you should do that. Why aren't you doing this? I think you'd be great at this. And suddenly new possibilities will emerge. But what you have to do and This is the key mindset, skill, and strategy. And how nice for me to babble on for 25 minutes before I (laughs) tell you the key mindset strategy, right? But what you really have to do is move through the world with openness and curiosity to be open to find out what's happening next and what you could learn next or what you could discover next. Because what happens when people have dreams that didn't work out, when they're sitting in the heartbreak and they're sitting with the loss and the grief is they, it's almost like they close their eyes eyes and they close their lens to the potential of it getting better. They don't believe it can get better. They don't sort of, they don't even know if they want it to get better because that means they have to toss their hat into the ring and give it a go and risk failure again. So they end up closing their lens and they don't see possibility. What I am challenging you to do is to wake up each day looking at the world to see like what new insights can I gain? What else can I learn about myself? Where are my interests? What can I pay attention to? To be open to discovering something new and to move through the world with openness and curiosity. That doesn't mean you have to land 
hand and make a final answer decision on something, that doesn't mean that like you have to say, oh, I've always loved being in bakeries, so I'm going to own a bakery. No, but it does mean that if you happen upon a bakery and you have the thought like, wow, I always liked it here. What do you like about it? What draws you in? What pulls you away? What repels you? What about that is attractive to you? Because if you start to get to know yourself now, if you start to be curious about who you are now, at some point, by engaging actively in the process of wondering and curiosity and exploration, you will come up with a new idea. It's not as easy as me just asking you what your why is and you being able to parrot your answer right back. But if you move through the world with a sense of wonder and curiosity and openness and learning what those observations say about you and what's important to you and what you care about, then at some point those patterns will start to emerge. You will start to notice yourself saying the same things or observing the same things. And then over time, the new vision for what's next for you will emerge merge. It doesn't happen upon heartbreak. It doesn't happen, you know, like, you know, when somebody dies or when we lose somebody, like usually corporate places like assign, like, you know, what I call a grief amount, like parents, if your parent dies, you get three days off of work. If a spouse dies, you get five days off of work. If a, you know, distant relative, you know, dies, you get a day off of work. It's, you know, it's not going to be time limited. You're not going to just grieve the lost dream for X number of days and then just be able to bounce back. But if you make the choice to be curious and open and find out, then my guess is you are opening yourself up to a new dream finding you. Otherwise, you're just closed off. Otherwise, you're just doing as you've always done and getting what you've always gotten. If you want to shift that story and find something new, you got to be open to learning, asking, and finding out what's next on the other side. So if you haven't figured out your plan B, time to get curious, time to just observe and wonder and move through the world with some openness. And then let me know what you find out on the other side. Thanks so much for joining me for today's conversation. I certainly hope you found it valuable and I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.